Boxer Muhammad Ali's on the airplane one day, and the stewardess said to him, you need to buckle your seatbelt. He says, Superman don't need no seatbelt. She said, Superman don't need no airplane. Buckle your seatbelt. She's like... Now, we got a little, all of us have a little of that in us, I'm afraid. We uh, get a little big for our britches sometimes. We, uh, we don't bow to God, we, we bow to ourselves. And there's a God-given instinct that we all have to do something great, to make a difference, to be happy, to be fulfilled, to have joy. These are good God-given things. Like anything, there's a right way to go about that, and there's a wrong way to go about that. We're going to talk about that today, the right way to pursue greatness, and the wrong way to pursue greatness is what Jesus talked about in Matthew chapter 20, and verses 17 through 28, which are our text for today. We want to read that text reverently and thoughtfully, and then we want to talk to the one who inspired that text. And then we want to bow by bowing our hearts to the God that wrote that text and ask of him, so what would you have us then to do? Let's um, take time together now as a church to give attention to God's word, Matthew chapter 20 and verse 17. Now Jesus, going up to Jerusalem, took the twelve disciples aside on the road He said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priest and to the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify. And on the third day he will rise again. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to him with her sons, kneeling down, And asking something from him, he said to her, What do you wish? She said to him, Grant that these two sons of mine may sit, one on your right hand and the other on your left, in your kingdom. But Jesus answered and said, You do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink? And be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They said to him, We are able. So he said to them, You will indeed drink my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it is prepared by my Father. And when the ten heard it, they were greatly displeased with the two brothers. But Jesus called them to himself. And he said, You know the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them, yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave." just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life a ransom for many. This is a wonderful text. Let's pray. Now, Lord, thank You for letting us be here today. Jesus, thank You for being so kind and merciful to us. 
Heavenly Father, you are, you are our Abba Father. You're, you allowed us to consider you like our daddy, our, 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 uh, our uh, intimate father that loves us and cares about us and cherishes us and listens to us. You've given us your word. We love your word. And, and, and the more we read it and the more we think about it, the more we love you and the more we like you and the more drawn we are to you and the more we want to see other people drawn to you. And right now, as we just pause as a church on this Lord's Day before your word, speak to us. And Lord, I pray, stimulate within us a new, fresh obedience in a new, fresh way. I, Lord, I pray that you would capture the heart of evangel to a new and fresh obedience to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus in this text predicts his own death now for the third time. He's going to go into the final week of his life. He's going to be tortured and beaten and he's going to be betrayed. He's going to be crucified. He's going to die and he's going to rise again. And he tells these are pretty big things. He tells his disciples. He takes them aside and he tells his disciples. So he's continually teaching his disciples. He's continually coaching his disciples because he has plans for his disciples. He wants them to have a clear understanding. Now these are men with ambition. They're men with normal, red-blooded ambition like you and I have. They desire to be a part of something big. They desire to make a difference in the world. They want to be happy. They want to be loved. They want to have joy. They want to feel satisfied. Jesus never condemns them for this, ever. Jesus never condemns us for these desires that He has put in every one of us to make a difference, to matter, to have significance. He never condemns them for that. But they're going to go about it in the wrong way. Almost like they're not listening to Him. He predicts His death for the third time, and He says some pretty ominous things. That He's going to be tortured. That He's going to die. And and When He talks about His death, He talks about His death in such concrete terms, that should have just shocked them. It should have captured their... They should have silenced them. They should have said, You're going to die? You're going to be tortured? You're going to shed blood. They're going to beat you. They're going to mock you. They're going to scourge you. The religious people are going to turn you over to the Gentiles or the Romans. They're going to kill you. Tell me more. You're going to die. You're going to rise again. Wouldn't it have been natural for them to say, let's talk about that. How does that rise again thing, how's that going to work? They didn't say that. It seemed like every time Jesus predicted his death, they would immediately get into like a quarrel about who was going to take over after he died? I'd be like Lois, and I would tell Lois, I think I might die. And she says, i got a couple guys in mind I might date. <laughs> How would I feel about this? Those spontaneous illustrations should stay out of the messages, shouldn't they? It's not in the notes, you look there. But how would you feel? We're like, seriously, can you wait till my body's cold and stiff? You know, for your kind of plan and stuff like that? So we tend to beat these guys up. I, I think we should be careful. Let's be careful. As we approach a text like this, and we're going to see what, that, that they kind of misstep and they don't quite have it right and they don't quite have a clear understanding, let's kind of be careful about what we say about who are these men that we're talking about? Who is this woman that we're talking about? They're not people we should be irreverent toward. We'll talk about that a bit more. But it's almost like he, they don't really hear what he's saying. And it's just like a human thing. We hear what we want to hear. And we might, they, he might be saying something very clear, and we just want to hear it. So here's what Jesus is saying. I'm going to suffer. And remember in chapter 16, he says, and if you're going to follow me, you're going to suffer. 
But then there's going to be glory. Remember the transfiguration? He says, there's going to be great glory. You're going to have an opportunity to lead. You're going to have an opportunity to matter. You're going to have, to opportunity, you're going to, have an opportunity to be a very significant person in a very significant thing in a very big way. And this is going to be very fulfilling and you're going to be very happy and very joyful. They're like, I want to do that. And you're going to suffer and they're going to go, I didn't hear that. They just didn't hear that. We used to take what I call full moonwalks as a family. Now, you understand when I say moonwalk, I'm not talking about any kind of dance step here. I couldn't do that. I've tried it a few times in private, and it just doesn't look right. But a moonwalk, a, a moonwalk some of my kids are good at it, but I'm not going to tell you who they are. A moonwalk, a moonwalk was when you have a full moon, and you take the little kids out, and you say, we're going to take a walk on a full moon night. And I remember one in particular. As I was studying this passage, it came back to my mind. It was a lot of years ago. There was a little, there's a little road that ran along a ridge on a, on a hill. And from that point, there was a huge oak tree. Three or four men couldn't get their arms around this huge oak tree with these leaves way up in the sky. And when you'd walk along that road on an autumn night and a full moon would rise in the sky, there's just something spectacular about it. And the kids were little. It was just a wonderful time in our lives. And we're out. And I would say to them, when we go out, I want you to be very, very quiet. I want you to be very silent. And I want you to just walk with me. I want to look at the full moon. And I want to listen. We live way out in the country in this valley on a dead-end road, and we were walking along this road, and I stopped, I said, listen, and in a minute I'm going to ask you to tell me what you heard. And so they would listen. And then I'd say, what did you hear? And the little ones would say, nothing. Nothing. And I would say, all right, listen again. What do you hear? Finally somebody would say, I hear crickets. Or they would say, I hear something like, and it would be frogs, like tree frogs. It would be frogs. What else do you hear? There would be a truck out in the valley kind of growling along Route 36. You say, I heard that truck. Or a plane droning across the dark sky. Say, I can hear the engine from that plane. You've got to teach yourself to listen for certain sounds. And if you are going to follow Jesus, and if you're going to be a disciple of Jesus... You cannot only listen to what you want to listen to. You have to listen to what he is saying. You can't listen for the instructions that you want. And you can't mold Jesus like Play-Doh into the Jesus you want him to be. He's the king. He's the master. We bow to him. We serve him. We worship him. We follow him. He speaks. We listen. He says go. We go. If he says change, we change. Can I hear an amen right there? Kind of sucked you into that, didn't I? Because he does. Because if you say, I'm not going to change, you're saying, oh, you got it perfect. If we say these churches are going to change, we say, oh, the church is perfect. Anybody here want to say the church is perfect? I don't think that'd be a good idea. I think you're like too big for your britches if you think that. You think you're Superman. You're not Superman. I am not Superman. You're not Superwoman either, by the way. You're not Wonder Woman. Let's keep moving. Um, so here's... Here's Jesus, and he tells them, I'm going to die, and I'm going to suffer. And they're like, um, Mom, Mom, can you have him ask if you... You know, you're his aunt, and we're his cousins. Could you maybe get a little... And, just, and she says, in a kind of a childish way, can I ask you just anything, and you'll do it for me? And then he says, in a mature way, 
what is it that you want? I'm not going to give you a blank check. What is it that you want? And then she says, demonstrating that she does believe he's going to be, there is going to be a kingdom, and that, demonstrating that she does want to have her sons involved in a serious way in the kingdom. Don't forget, this woman is at the foot of the cross of Jesus Christ. Don't forget that. Don't forget that these sons of hers are very precious to Jesus. He loves them. They're in his inner circle. They land on their feet. They end up being very significant for God. But they're not quite on here. They don't quite hear what Jesus has just said. They want the glory, and they want to talk about the glory part, and that's significant, but they don't want to talk about the suffering part, and they don't realize the way to glory has got to be through sacrifice, and it's got to be through suffering, and they're not seeing that. So they're having their mom kind of pull rank and go, you know, we're tight, so could my son sit on your right hand and on your left hand in the kingdom? And then he says, his answer is very beautiful. It's not harsh. It's not mean. It's not cold. He's really very gentle. He basically says to her, are you listening to the whole story or are you just hearing a part of the story? And he says to her, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able, this is verse 22, are you able to drink the cup I am about to drink? Do you understand what he was saying? This is a, this is a poetic Reference. This is to the suffering that he's going to go through, that he just referred to. I'm going to suffer and die. And then, again, remember back in chapter 16, he said, and if you're going to follow me, you're going to suffer too. You're going to have to be willing to go with me through the suffering. And um, take up your cross. Remember the, the, the violent picture that he gave. Take up your cross, ready to suffer. He says... Are you ready to do that? And it's almost like they answered glibly. I'm sure they don't. I'm sure they're, they're on his team. They've been following him. They love him. They believe in him. They've seen him do wonderful things. They say, we are able. We are able. You've got to love that. Jesus, you're going to drink a cup? I'm going to drink a cup. You're going to suffer? I'm ready to go. I'm ready. You're going. I'm going. You charge the hill. I will be with you. We can put these guys down, but I would like to hear some people today say, we are able. We are there. You send me. We're going. You say to do it. I'll do it. Whatever you say, it's a command of my heart. I love you. We are able. But they hadn't really, they didn't really have the whole thing thought through and they hadn't really fully counted the cross. They would, but they hadn't. And so they just quickly say, we are able. And then he says something shocking to them. He actually predicts that they are now, they are going to suffer. And he says to them, that is what you are going to do. And they do. James and John. James becomes first martyr of the church. Jesus' cousin. James is beheaded by Herod. He does drink the cup. Shortly after Jesus drinks the cup of violence, James drinks the cup of violence and he enters into glory. To glory. He does find this wonderful greatness, but it's different than he thought it was going to be. And then John, he's the last of the apostles to die. He's, he's tortured. They say, tradition says he's boiled in oil and survived. And we know he was exiled to the Isle of Patmos and penned the revelation of Jesus Christ. These were not insignificant men. These men were apostles disciples, followers of Jesus Christ. None of us can sit here on this Sunday morning and cast doubt on, the, on these men. 
None of us should stand in judgment on these men. None of us probably would have done any better than they did. But it wasn't because of who they were. It's because of what Jesus did in them that made them great. And they're confused about the way to greatness. The world says the way to greatness is this. Get people to serve you. Get people to serve you. Do whatever you have to do in order to get people to serve you. Be a star so that they love you. Uh, you, you know, be a big hitter so that they want to be around you. Have lots of money so people want to serve you instead of you serving people. So this is what the world says. And when the church is confused, the church says the same thing. It's got people to serve you and then you're great. And so this was the idea that they had. But he says, no, you're going to have to suffer. And so he says in verse 23, you will indeed drink my cup. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it is for those to whom it has been prepared by my Father. Now in verse 24, the, the natural thing that you would expect happens, right? The other disciples, the other ten are going, they're, they're irritated by this. That, that's just, when you, when you take the wrong path to significance, the wrong path to greatness, to doing something great, like you take the wrong path, it's going to irritate the people around you. When you're, basically, when you're saying, how can I get people to serve me, they're not going to like it. They're just not going to, it's not going to go well. It didn't there. Even among these, this inner circle, or this close cluster of the twelve, the other ten were, were irritated by that. There was an insensitivity to that kind of like worldly way to greatness is insensitive. It's insensitive to who Jesus is and that they're in the presence of the Son of God, the the Son of Man, the King of Kings, they're in Jesus' presence. They should have been bickering like this. They're insensitive to one another. They should have cared and been concerned about one another. This is unspoken, but it's obvious in the text. They're insensitive to the people around. The next thing that's going to happen now is Jesus is going to demonstrate what He's teaching by healing two blind men on the way to die. He's on His way to die, but He takes time to heal two of the lowest on the lowest rung of society, as a kind of a demonstration to his disciples. This is what he does next, before the triumphal entry in the last week of his life and his death. They manipulated their connections to gain personal privilege, even though they were destined for greatness with God. In verse 22, they heard the glory part, but they didn't hear the suffering part. In verse 23, again, Jesus predicted their death. In verse 24, we see they were insensitive to Jesus. They were insensitive to the other disciples. They were insensitive to the crying needs of the world around them. This was the wrong way to greatness. And it, it still is. And so we're tempted, too, to do the same thing. We have this ambition. Some of us more than others, all of us have it. We have ambition for our own interest, and this is natural for us to have. But then to say, to, to, in order to, to either to manipulate our position or our connections or our dominance, our power, our control, or our charm, or our beauty, or our sexual attractiveness, or whatever it is, in order to get people to serve us, is not Jesus' way. This will not bring a tear to your eye. It will make you mad. You know what's cool? I'm studying this, and I'm reading it again last night. I'm asking, Lord, break into my heart with this text. I don't want to just preach another message. I want you to break into my heart with this text. So I'm just reading it again. The first part kind of irritates you. You look at him and you're like, who do you think you are, Superman? But the second part, when it talks about who Jesus is and it ends with this, and this is the example of the Son of Man, 
it's like, oh, there's, there's something so sweet, beautiful, compelling, and magnetic about being like Jesus, seeking greatness the way Jesus wants us to seek greatness. So you don't seek greatness by getting people to serve you, but you seek significance, you seek greatness, you seek fulfillment by serving other people. And this is what Jesus said specifically. We'll get, we'll get to that in verse 28, but before... Let's just look for a minute. Again, the wrong way, the world's way, get people to serve you. The right way, the way of Christ, the way of cross, is to serve others. That's simple. Now, that's true in the natural. It's true in the temporal. I don't know if you do this very often. I don't do it very often. I read a book, an interesting book called Good to Great, about how to take a good organization, make it a great organization. It's a pretty cool book. And uh, Jim Collins wrote the book, and you've got to wonder if the guy doesn't know the Lord, because he described a level five leader, and he studied all these, these business organizations that went from good to great. And in the good to great book, he says that the, 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 the one thing that was in common of all the organizations that went from good to great is they had what he called a level five leader and this is the short version of a level five leader had a couple things going on. One, he had this like humility about him. He was humble and helping other people succeed and helping other people uh, achieve things. He was, he was willing to be approachable and to listen. He had this humility about him. And the other thing was he had this kind of drivenness, this vision that he wouldn't let go of. And when I read that, I thought, that's so Jesus right there. It is so Jesus. He's got this passion, this mission. He's not going to change it for anything. He's not going to let go of it. He knows it's right. And he's moving toward that vision. But he's humble, and he's approachable, and he's lovable, and he's giving, and he's serving, he's suffering, and you love him for it. Good to great. It's true in the natural. It just is true. If you find a need and meet it, you're probably going to be successful. Am I right? Who came up with the idea of a cell phone? Was that a cool idea? I love that idea. Do you like that idea? If you don't like it, you're just an old crabby codger, Rich. That's what you are, yeah. So, like, a cell phone is so cool. Let me tell you why. Let me tell you why. If I'm a kid, I'm on my way home from school, right? When I was raised, when I was back in the old days, you know, you go from school, and the bullies, like, get around you, and they beat you up. They just have, what's the way it works? They beat you up, and then you go home, if you can walk. Like, now seriously, I would, I, I've often fantasized, I wish I had my iPhone then. Because I would call it an airstrike. I'd say, you want to play? Because I'm going to call my people right now. You just bring it. Because I'm going to make a couple of phone calls to some big, bad, ugly people are going to show up and help me here. Like, or I could just like call the police, 911. It's like, oh, you hear that siren voice? That means you're going to jail. That's what's happening. I just love that idea. I think that's so cool. Whoever came up with the idea of a cell phone, I say crown him. That's a great idea. Especially the smartphone. You get your email right now in your pocket. If you don't like it, that's because you're old and crappy. But anyway, I just love that idea. I think that's so cool. Somebody said that's going to be a need. Little boys are going to be making their way home from school, and they want to call their dad. And so I'm going to come up with something they can do that right in their pocket. That's a need I'm going to meet. And everywhere you go, this is the new posture of America. Am I right? 
was well, I never told anybody this, but I bought a suit the other day and I was really happy. And, and I bought this new suit. My wife said she's tired of looking at my old suit, so I got a new suit. So I got this new suit. And then I was at Penny's and I'm walking out and it's a sunny day and I'm feeling really happy. And I got a text from my son, Dan. And so I looked down and I stepped off the curb because it was like this a little. And I fell down because I was looking at my cell phone. That's the first I ever told anybody that. And my cell phone goes shooting across, and a bunch of little old ladies are running over. Oh, what happened? It's like, and that, somebody says, that big guy went down really hard. It's like, so that really helped. But I just think that's so cool. In the natural, you come up with a good idea that people need, and you meet a need, you market it right. And just, and you, see, in other words, if you want to make a difference in this world, in the natural, find a need, right? You've heard this. Find a need and meet it and do it well. In the natural, that's true. You don't just go, you know what I want to be? I want to be rich like whoever it was that came up with this phone idea. I want to be rich. I want to be able to fly places on vacation, stay there a long time, have people, you know, bring me lemonade. No. You think, you know, how can I help single mothers? What do they need? What was a little poor kid on his way home from school getting beat up by bullies? What would his parent, what would his working mother want him to have? I'm going to fix it so that he can have, they can get what they need. And that's just true in the natural, am I right? But it's exceedingly and wonderfully true in the supernatural. And Jesus doesn't mean for us to seek greatness in the natural. That's perverse. He wants us to seek greatness in the supernatural. And in other words, He has a mission. And the way it works is when you serve and help people, ultimately, they don't need a cell phone like they need their soul's salvation. They don't need a cell phone or a new widget or something that tastes really good but has lower calories nearly as much as they need eternal life. They need Jesus more than they need skinny, right? I mean, they need that stuff, spiritual things, soul things more than anything. And so he says, don't be like the world around you. Verse 25, don't be like the world around you and aspire to greatness by getting people to do what you want them to do because you have a torque on them or because you have power or because you have a gun or because you're big and mean and ugly or you have muscles or something or because you have money. Serve them for my sake, in my mission, for ultimate things, and that's what he says in verse 25. He called them to himself. Get that? Back on the road, he calls them to himself. He goes, I'm going to let you in on some insider information. I'm about to suffer and die and be tortured and die and rise again. He wants them to know because that's the inner circle. He does this again. At this point, he calls them together. It's a learning moment. He uses this as a learning moment. And he says, get this. He wants you to get it if you're going to be his follower too. You and I, if we want to follow Jesus, got to get this. He says, in the world, they're going to lord it over one another. And the people with power or charm or beauty or sexual appeal are going to use that in order to get people to serve them. But not among my followers. It's not the way it's going to be with us. With us, we're just going to love unconditionally. We're going to love people. We're going to serve. We're going to give. And then he says it like this. You know the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, those who are great exercise authority, yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And, and whoever desires to be first, let him be your slave. And then he pulls out, the, this, this is the part that should just capture you, capture your, your heart. Verse 28, let's hear it. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. To give his life a ransom for many. Jesus paid this like ransom price for many. For those who would be, believe. 
Jesus paid a ransom price. That wrath of God was on them and they, and, and on you, on me. The wrath of God on you and me. And we're victims of Satan and all that he wants to do with us. And Jesus didn't come along and just invent a cell phone for us to be con- help, you know, more convenient on our way to hell. Or, or invent you know, something with better taste and fewer calories so we could be skinnier on our way to hell. Jesus came and he died for our sins. The ultimate need that people have to give them eternal life and abundant life. It's awesome. Jesus said, Jesus said, just as the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. Here's the thing that's kind of neat when you think about this. So, Jesus Christ did not come here to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many, including me. Are you in that? So nobody serves him, right? Oh, no. no. Millions today serve him all around the world. Not even physically here, but millions are singing about him today. Millions are saying, Jesus, what do you want me to do for you? Is there anything I can do for you, Jesus? You're everything to me. I want my kids to know about you. I want my neighbors to know about you. I'm going to gather every week and I'm just going to sing my lungs out because I want to serve you. Because Jesus gave and served and died, millions upon millions upon millions honor him today. He says, this is my way. Jesus' way is such a beautiful way, isn't it? Maybe you're thinking today, how in the world then could I serve Him? What could I do? Because He's my example. Well, you've got to be willing to do something. You've got to be willing to sacrifice, give, love, and serve. You've got to be willing to suffer or maybe even be scarred. Amy Carmichael figured out a way to do that. You know her story. She was a little Irish girl. And she went and did inner city ministry for a long time. And then she went, she heard a guy speaking at the British Keswick movement about India and the great need. And by the way, today there still is an enormous need. A huge percentage of the population of the entire world still is in India today. So she went to India and she spent her life, laying down her life, rescuing little girls that were really being trafficked in, in a religious kind of sexual trafficking. She spent her life rescuing those little girls. And she never married Spent 54 years. When she was buried, she loved birds. So when she was buried, they just put a simple bird bath on her grave. And people still talk about Amy Carmichael and they read her poems and they read her because she laid down her life, because she gave, because she served. And you may think, well, I'll never be able to serve God on that scale. It's not important the scale. It's important that, that, we, that we do serve. She, she said, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, he was a man with scars, with nail scars. Do you have a scar? And she wrote this poetry, and it survives today. Here's what she said in her poem. Hast thou no scar, no, no hidden scar on foot or side or hand? I hear thee sung as mighty in the land. I hear them hail thy bright ascendant star. Hast thou no scar? Hast thou no wound? Yet I was wounded by the archers spent. Lean me against a tree to die, and rent by ravening beast that encompassed me I swooned. Hast thou no wound? No wound? No scar? Yet as the master, so shall the servant be, and pierced are the feet that follow me, but thine are whole. Can he have followed far who has no wound or scar? I was praying and walking and thinking about this yesterday and feeling kind of a sinking feeling. Jesus, when you look at me, what do you think? I know you see me through the righteousness of your son. I would be undone if that was not true. But I want to please you. I want to give and serve and sacrifice. And I don't want to just have the 
the glory. I, I want to I be a follower of you. When I think of this, it's a troubling, sinking feeling. Am I a true follower? Am I a true disciple? Have I served and sacrificed and suffered and given of myself for Christ's sake or for the kingdom? And he gives this immediate example of the blind men that he stopped for. And who are the blind men that I stopped for? And the poor that I feed and the confused that I help and the unlovely that I love. In other words, can I be a true follower, disciple? And I know you feel this way too if the Spirit lives in you. So I want to suggest to you some specific ways about how to do this before I quit today. First, any way the Holy Spirit tells you, do it. These are the best ways, the organic, spontaneous things that you do because the Spirit told you to do them. When the Spirit tells you to do something, to sacrifice, to give, to love, to serve, do it. You follow in His train, as the old hymn writer says. You follow in His train. Here he he walks in regal glory and you follow behind him and you do the things he does. You say, I'm not a big shot. He knows. Just do the things he does. Find someone who needs... Follow... When the Spirit tells you... I, I would suggest to you, if you can't think of something like the Spirit doesn't particularly touch you and tell you to do something, take the suggestion that we gave... And we're going to exalt him here. You can trust me, can't you? That I will speak highly of Jesus when you bring people here. And when we sing songs, they won't be little silly songs like the world has. They'll be weighty songs. And when you bring people here, they have, they, those people long for transcendence, for bigness, for God. They're going to hear about a big God here. They're going to sing about a big God here. They're going to hear a message about a big God. Their souls are going to need that. There are many of them who are on their way to Christ. You take that little card. We have a new card for you. John Schaff, one of our members, is a, a designer. and He designed this beautiful card for us. It's a gift, his gift to the Lord. And, and then we have the card for you today. And when you go out, you can take this card. And I just have this vision in my soul about every one of us taking one or two of these cards. And just put them next to our heart and say, Jesus, you show me what you want me to do with this card. You show me where you want me to place this card. Point me to somebody who would, would cherish an invitation. And then with a loving invitation, you give them that card and you ask them to come and hear about Jesus here. That would be pretty powerful, wouldn't it? And then if they, they come, and then their lives are changed, and you are a part of that, that would be a way that you could serve. But there's another way, a third way. The first way would be whatever the Holy Spirit tells you. The second way would be use the invitation card to invite people. Just a little simple way. Sometimes I say things don't give you specific ways. to. This is a specific way. But let me give you one more. This is a little bit bigger. It's a part of the future of our church. What is our church going to look like in the future if God tarries and we obey Him? Let me suggest what I believe this church should look like in the future. Are you ready for this? This is kind of an exciting moment right now. I want to tell you about this. Jump into the missional team movement. Let me explain that to you. There's a bunch of different ways I could say it. But jump in. Join us in the mission of Jesus Christ in a new and fresh way, in a kind of a missionary kind of an effort. Now you say, I don't know how to do that. I will explain how to do this. And by the way, I'll give you like step by step. Here's how you can do it. And then whatever you come up with on your own will probably be better. And whatever you kind of like spin off and do from, as a part of this, it will probably be better, you understand. We recognize that. So it might be whatever God tells you. But, but what we want to do is give you an idea. What does this look like, a missional movement? Here's what I'm praying for as a pastor. I'm praying right now for leaders of small groups. 
these leaders will not be people that will be like super Bible scholars, but there'll be people who love Jesus a lot and who love Him and walk with Him and who, whose hearts beat with Jesus about people that are dear to Him. There are going to be people who have a warm heart for God. They're going to lead a small group in, in every week in prayer. This small group would meet ten weeks and then another ten would be trimesters, three ten-week periods throughout the year, taking the summer off to do other kinds of ministries, taking the holidays off to do other kinds of ministries, ten weeks out of ten, ten trimesters of small group meetings. And I'm praying for leaders that could say, in, in a, in a, in a, like in a, in a home, let's lead them in prayer and teaching people how to pray so that we don't just have a few that are praying on Wednesday night while everybody's doing Awana and youth is doing youth, but all throughout the church and all throughout the week, the church of God is praying. That's exciting, isn't it? Not just a few praying, everybody praying. And that leader will lead the people in real prayer meeting. That's very exciting, isn't it? Second thing he'll do is he'll lead the people in a discussion about the message that's been preached on Sunday morning. So we preach the message on Sunday morning, and rather than just going home and kind of forgetting about it or like, you know, scorecarding it, we just say, hey, Jesus, what do you want me to do about that message that I heard? And you talk with a group of friends about that. And the third thing, and this is where it gets really exciting, since we're followers of Jesus, the leader of that group would lead that group in praying and having a discussion about the message And then he would lead that group in this very exciting thing. Okay, Jesus, now we're your followers. What do you want us to do? What of your commands do you want us to obey? How can we creatively reach other people who don't know the Lord that are in our circle of influence? Whose life could we touch? Now this is really exciting because I'm not going to give you like a script for this. What you're going to do is as a group, you're going to meet together and you're just going to pray and talk. And you know, like one guy's going to go, you know, I know a guy who would love to have wheels on his truck. And I actually have old wheels in my barn that I don't use anymore because I have a minivan and they would look stupid on my minivan. And we could all get together and put those wheels on that guy's truck and we could shine them up and we could be his friend and and his other buddies can come over and they don't know the Lord? Wouldn't it be awesome to do that? And it's just like a, a missional kind of effort. It's based on the commands of Christ. So Jesus has a whole bunch of commands that he gave, like to love one another and to give the gospel and to be baptized and to serve the poor and all kinds of commands. The missional efforts then would grow out of the small group. You get that? We don't just do small group in order to do small group. What we get, we get along and we do things together and we feel a oneness of mind because we're under the mission of Jesus. Jesus gives this mission, and we get under the mission of Jesus. Zach, I was looking out there, and I was thinking of your extra tomatoes, you know. I was like, yeah, you got all, he, he was telling me you probably don't anymore, but you had a lot of extra tomatoes. I was just, it just came to my mind right now, spontaneously. Like, imagine if everybody went out there, and Zach says, like, I got more tomatoes, because you do, you had like, pick them, man, come and get them. And then find a place to give them to somebody who really needs them, appreciates them. He's saying, yes, so this is an idea. Isn't that cool? How hard would that be? It would be fun, wouldn't it? If you're with people you love on a fall afternoon and you're picking tomatoes for Jesus and then you go and find in some place that you can give them to somebody, do you think maybe there might be an opportunity to talk about Jesus or give an invitation for the gospel in all of that? I think so. And I'll tell you why. Because when you do that kind of thing, Jesus smiles on you because you're on his mission. He likes that. He can do stuff you can't do. You know what? He sent people here and saved them that we didn't have anything to do with. George is going to get baptized in a couple of weeks. God saved him and nobody here witnessed to him first. God just went zap, saved him and sent him to us. He's like looking around for us and found us after God saved him. And I think why? Because I know there's been a silent listener to these messages. And he loves what I'm talking about. He loves it. Because it's what he told us to do. I'll just give you a tip. When you get to the end of Matthew you know what the end of Matthew is going to say? 
Go, therefore, into all the world and make disciples. That's what he's going to say. So when I say go and make disciples, I speak as the oracles of God. You might say, you're repeating it. It's like, that's right. And this church will never stop repeating it. And if we stop repeating it, we're no longer obedient to the mission of Jesus Christ. This is not a country club. This isn't a place where I come to have my own personal needs met. This isn't a place where I do church the way I like it. This is a place where we call people to follow the mission of Jesus Christ. Go where He goes. Say what He says. Do what He does. Win lost sinners for Christ. Do good things for other people. And you say, well, maybe it won't work. No, but we could die trying. That would be awesome, wouldn't it? And then we're going to tell the stories of the triumphs of the gospel. What did God do? This is the crazy thing we did. It didn't work, but it was a lot of fun. We're going to try something else next time. And then out of the church, we have all these kind of missional expressions, these little teams that are out doing mission. And you're taking all the training that you've had in the past and all the teaching that you've had in the past. You're bringing it to bear out there where lost people are. I could go on and on, so I'm looking for leaders for those groups. Then second thing I'm looking for is we're looking for homes for those groups to meet in. Sometimes they'll be the leader's home, but it might be you're not a leader, but you would love to have people in your home, a small group of people in your home, in your neighborhood. And Jesus' special presence comes to your neighborhood as people come into your neighborhood and meet in your home. I'm looking for people who will say, I will host one of those 10-week small groups. I'm also then looking for people. We're looking for people who will join those groups. Say, I want to be a part of one of those groups. This is a big deal. And when you take your card today, you can say, hey, I'll talk to you about being a leader. I'll talk to you about being a host. I'll talk to you about being in one of those groups. Because these groups are going to launch in really soon. So we're looking for leaders and homes and places for them to meet and for people to be in the groups who will say, I'll be a part of that. We're seeking those things, and we're going to put those together. Lord willing, in January, we'll launch, we have a couple of them going kind of, they've been going already. Some of you, I talk to you, you go, yeah, I've been doing that already. You've got two or three, four groups. We're going to take those groups, if we're, if we're allowed, we're going to take credit for those groups and put them on our team. We're going to say, but we're going to add the stuff that we have that we're talking about. We're going to add those to those groups if they'll let us that they're already doing the groups. And then what we're going to do is we're going to add more in January. We want to launch like six or eight of these groups. And then maybe in the spring, maybe add more groups to those. Not maybe, I think for sure add more groups in the spring. What we look forward to then is next year, about a year from now, we get the full launch on this in our church. This becomes the huge missional effort of our church. How do we become disciples? We become disciples by going to the big assembly which is what God commands of all of us. And we sing and we preach and we give and we pray. And then we become disciples by moving to a small group where we pray together and where we study the Bible together and where we cook up missional things to obey our Savior, our King Jesus. And then that's come and grow and then there's serve out of that. And some of you are going to go, well, you know, I, that's where the missional effort is. Get it to serve. And some of you are going to come back and serve kind of the institutional church. And it's going to help us to cover, um, to, to, to recruit a team of people that are going to help relieve some nursery workers that are kind of worn out from kind of doing it alone. And a small group is going to come along and go, you know what, we're going to help right here in the nursery. And somebody else is going to come along and say, you know what, we're going to take a, we're, going to, we're, we're moved by this, we're going to take these two, three, and four-year-olds and we're going to pour our hearts into these two and three and four-year-olds. Our small group is just going to take that on for a month and we'll work under Laura, whoever's heading that up, and say, let's just make this happen here. And there's going to be a freshness to that that comes back into the institutional church. But then a lot of it will go out and we'll just be creative 
based on whatever it is that God has gifted you to do. Because when Jesus came into this world, Jesus didn't just pelt people with gospel rocks. Jesus came into this world healing people. Jesus came into this world and he went to their weddings. He went to their funerals and he cried with them. Jesus sang with people. He fixed breakfast for his followers. He walked with them. He lived among them. He didn't just tell them, here's the building, come to it. He went out to where the people were prostitutes, messed up people, people who didn't know God, but they were precious to Him. And He went out and lived among them and walked among them. And if we want to follow Him, we want to do the same thing. Instead of just hanging out a shingle and saying, we built a nice building, we go out to where they are, we roll up our sleeves. You realize what happened in 9-11? These big towers came crashing down and everybody ran away, am I right? They ran as fast as they could. They were billowing clouds of smoke and death. They were chasing people down the streets. But there were a few people who went into the buildings. The firefighters actually turned. They ran into the buildings. They ran into the fire. And they went to rescue people in the fire. You know what they say? Heard a story this week about this. Those men and women that ran into the fire for weeks afterward, they smelled like smoke. Here's what I fear. I fear that we talk about following Jesus more than we actually follow him. I fear that we love Jesus, but we don't really know how to run into the fire. And I think as a pastor and as pastors and as leaders in our church, we want to have a way that we can tell to people, Evangel Baptist Church is Good News Baptist Church. We're 600 members that want to live up to our name, and we are going to run into the fire, and we are going to smell like smoke. And by God's grace, there will be people who are rescued from the fire because we did what we did. Now, there's one big thing that I'm looking for above all of this, and it's more important than anything I've said. And please hear this. Some of you are sitting there right now, and you're going, man, I don't see myself as a leader and this is a crazy idea. This small group thing never did appeal to me. I'm not signed into that. I understand that. Or you might say, in the missional teams, I really don't quite get that. I just don't. And if you would say those things, I'm not mad at you. That's okay. I would expect a number of our members would be thinking thoughts like that right now. Or you might be thinking something like this. Pastor, I love you. You know, you're, you're an enthusiastic guy. This too will pass. You will not keep talking about this. And if I hang on, this will be back to business as usual. And that is not going to happen because we've crossed the Rubicon. It's like, this is, this is going to happen. It is happening. And I will never stop talking about it. Never stop doing it. It's like, then you say, well, you mean it's going to be just exactly like that? No, I don't think so. Because as we go, there's a dynamic that changes and we'll figure it out. Here's the thing I'm saying, though. Please hear this now, real quick. Here's the thing I'm saying. What do we need more than we need leaders? What do we need more than we need homes? What do we need more than we need missional enterprise, people that will join those groups? We need people that are broken for the lost, broken for the state of the church at large, broken about the lack of holiness in the church, broken in their hearts, and they will do the one thing that God says he will bless. They will pray. We need people who will pray. And you might say, okay, I will do it. You remember the old cottage prayer meeting? You ever heard of that cottage prayer meeting? Old timers would say, we had a cottage prayer meeting. Sounds cool. It means you had a prayer meeting in your house. They tell me that when you guys were praying for a, a lead pastor, senior pastor, they had meetings in homes praying. How many of you were part of the meetings in homes praying for the new pastor? Raise your hand and leave it up. Leave it up. Leave it up. Put it in. Oh, some of you don't want to admit it. I understand. You're like, I'm not admitting I prayed. Yeah, okay, I get it. Yeah. And I heard that those were great meetings. I heard people like that. They prayed. Okay, you prayed, and God sent 
me. You're like, we should have prayed harder. <laughs> but Lois and I are the same as you. We're like, did you really? Is it, did, we get to, did we get a moment in time at Evangel? Okay. Someday I'm going to die. Someday they're going to drag me off. Someday you get tired of them, vote me out, whatever. But until then, I am not going to do business as usual in this church. I'm going to ask the, thousand, the members of Evangel to stand up and go, let's go get them for God. Let's do something for God. Let's do something unusual and different. Let's seek the lost for Christ's sake. So if that's going to happen, it won't be because I was enthusiastic about it. And I don't have any, anywhere near the gifts that's going to be required for that to happen. You know what it's going to take? The touch of God. So I want to ask you if you will pray. You might be just getting together in a prayer meeting and going, pray, God, help Ken realize what a knucklehead he is, you know. And God will break through to the leaders and say, you guys are knuckleheads, do it a different way. I don't think so. But here's what I would suggest, starting right now, not in January when the small groups launch or in, or in the spring when more launch or in the fall when that becomes the major launch of our church and major thing that we're doing. But right now, you come to me and say, I will open my home for a prayer meeting. I will open my home for prayer. I will have a prayer meeting in my home. Or I will be a part. I can't open my home, but I love to be a part of one of those prayer meetings. Take out the card. Put it on there. I'll be a part of the prayer movement at Evangel. This could be very exciting. You say, I'm a follower of Jesus, but I don't pray. Oh, really? That seems a little different. Yeah, what's up with that? No, if you're, you, how many of you would say, I don't want my church to turn into a church that just does stuff because you're supposed to do it. I want my church to be a praying church. I want my church to be a holy church. I want my church to be agonizing, weeping, praying, burdened, desiring to serve God kind of a church. I'm calling you to that. I like uh, Peggy, come in and, uh, and, and, and take the keyboard. We want to sing together a song that points us back to verse 28. It's number 333. In the hymn book, 333. In the the words of the song, it's an old hymn, I will sing of my Redeemer and His wondrous love to me. On the cruel cross He suffered from the curse to set me free. I will sing of, I will tell the wondrous story how my lost estate to save in His boundless love in mercy He the ransom freely gave. I will sing of my Redeemer. I will never stop singing of my Redeemer. How about you? Verse 28, let's let's let this echo in our souls. This will do you good.